Blog Talk Radio. Divey's Late Night.
now I'm going to ask you to take a minute to check out 5 equals 10 men's underwear and leisure wear merchandise. 5 equals 10 is donating and has donated 10% of their company profits to DivaBetic as well as other outstanding nonprofit organizations. Making a difference is part of the 5 equals 10 core values. They understand the importance of providing others with the opportunities, and together we could make the world a safer, better place. As a young girl, Marin Morris began singing at clubs at the age of 11. She released her first debut independent album at 15, and by the time she got to her teens, she was already performing all over her native Texas as well as Oklahoma. What were you doing in your teens? I wasn't doing any of that. <laughs> but I think that's why she entitled this album, Girl, courtesy of Sony Music. We're going to listen to the title track right now. Uh, let's check it out. What you waiting for, girl? Won't you stop your crying? I know that you're trying. Everything's going to be Diabetes Late Night. Tonight we're talking about coping with diabetes during the virus with musical inspiration from Marin Morris. Later on I'll be talking about how to stay mentally strong with Dr. Wendy Satin Rappaport, as well as how to manage your medications during this virus. That's kind of been a trick for me. I'm living with psoriasis and going to the pharmacy gets to be kind of problematic, as well as how do you manage those refills. But the question right now is what have you been doing while you're sheltering in? I've been watching PBS NewsHour. You guys know I'm a huge fan of Judy Woodruff. I've also been streaming a couple shows that I really, really like. One is The Last Tango in Halifax. Strongly recommend that. Kidding with Jim Carrey, Gentleman Jack, and RuPaul's Drag Race. Not in that order. <laughs> Plus, I've been reading cozy mysteries like the Murder, uh, Murder, uh, Murder Low Maine by Vivian Chen for inspiration as I make my rewrites on the Diabetes Mystery Podcast that we have scheduled for September, and I hope you tune in. But right now, I want to find out what everyone else is doing. So I thought we would uh, check it out with our first guest. She's a mistress of the pen, and she's been selling her days cooking at home and sharing recipes on social uh, media. While she's sheltering, and please welcome to the show, I guess we should say Chef Lorraine Brooks. Hi, Lorraine. <laughs> Hi, Max. So there's a rumor on Chef... Facebook uh, that you're going to be publishing a virus cookbook at the end of this uh, when this is all over. Is that true? Uh, it is true. I'm, I'm, I'm putting together some recipes uh, from myself and my friends of what we've been cooking while we're um, sheltering in. So, yes, that is true. And you've been really kind of experimenting, right, like taking traditional recipes and kind of giving them a diabetic makeover. Well, yes, exactly. You know, I, I I, mean, I think like all of us, we, we're, we're probably kind of bored and, you know, a little anxious and, and can't really go anywhere. Um, so a lot of people I've noticed um, are posting online, about um, that they've been eating more than they normally would or they're not exercising as much as they normally would because they can't get to the gym or whatever. 
And I found that 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 was happening to me too because there's really not much else to do. Um, And I have this great kitchen. I I have to tell you, I have a great kitchen, a lot of counter space, a lot of really great appliances, and I don't take nearly enough advantage of it. So I thought, you know what, here I am at home, and this is a good opportunity to get to know my kitchen and produce some healthy meals for myself and my partner. And um, uh, so that's what I started to do. I started to take some traditional recipes and make them into a more diabetic, non-activity-doing, friendly kind of meal. And I think I've been doing very well. I've been getting a lot of really good responses. And so that's where the idea of the cookbook came, because people are responding really well. All right, well, you know, it's, we broadcast during dinner time, so tell us one of the recipes you've made. Like, what, what is something that you've made and, and the, how you re- made it over? Well, yeah, I've made it, uh, several things, but one thing that I made that came out very, very well was a, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, lemon blueberry pound cake. Um, I used fresh blueberries, of course, and I substituted the sugar uh, with Splenda, or I guess you could use any sugar substitute. And um, it came, it was beautiful. The recipe called for a glaze that you make with confectioner's sugar and lemon juice, but I didn't want to use the confectioner's sugar because that seemed like it was just an overkill. So I left out the glaze entirely, and it was delicious. It was sweet enough. It was just the right texture, just the right um, consistency, and I was very, very proud of that. I've also made um, uh, a banana I'm sorry, a um, banana cream pie. I've made a blueberry cheesecake. I've made uh, brownies. I've made, um, tonight I made flounder franchise, and I served it with broccoli, and it was delicious, a little lemon and butter sauce. Um, I made a leg of lamb for Easter. I mean, I've just, I've done so many different things, and it's really fun. I'm having a lot of fun. And it's filling up my days, and it's entertaining other people, and uh, I'm I'm very happy about the whole thing. I really am. And now I can hear it in your voice. That's uh, it sounds. Uh, now I'm hungry. I mean, the one thing <laughs> I've been waiting, I, I want more than anything because I've been cooking too, is a dishwasher. But I really want my dishwasher to look like Brad Pitt or Ricky Martin. Anyhow, all right. So you wrote a poem because I have been following you on social media, and I was seeing all these recipes, and so I said, Lorraine, can you write about this whole idea of cooking at home and stay, and preparing meals while we're going through this pan epidemic? And so you created something tonight. Um, I, I'd love to hear you share your poem. I, I did. I wrote a poem uh, especially about the cooking that I've been doing um, during the quarantine. And, by the way, I do have a brand-new dishwasher, and thank God for it because I make a mess when I cook. So I'm very glad for my dishwasher. But my poem is called Alone in the Kitchen. I went to the kitchen to get me a snack, and then I thought, no, better put those chips back. I'm home in the morning, home all the day, and I can't keep on eating and eating this way. I've got to stay healthy in spite of the news because food and drink are so easy to abuse. I'm bored and I'm worried, as all of us are. I'm eating my skippy right out of the jar. But I didn't give up or succumb to defeat, and I started cooking good foods I can eat. 
fresh fruits and vegetables, legumes and beans, broccoli, carrots, and cabbage and greens. I made a quiche, but it wasn't high fat. I learned how to substitute this for that. I made a cheesecake with Splenda instead, and there was no sugar in my banana bread. I made a stew and some soup and some fish without adding butter or oil to my dish. I'm doing my best. I'm not perfect, but still, instead of much salt, I use spices like dill. And I'm doing Zumba online for an hour so I don't lose all of my strength and my power. So I would suggest while this quarantine goes, get out of your jammies and put on some clothes. Do something healthy, creative, and such, and the time spent alone won't bother you as much. For me, that was cooking. For you, maybe not. But let's take advantage of all that we've got. One day this all will be part of our past, and we can enjoy all our freedoms at last. I love that, and as I said to you in a text earlier, uh, you caught me with the skippy out of the jar for sure. That really, uh, <laughs> that that's very truthful. That's been my a little bit of my experience. Well, I, I can't tell you how many times I've eaten skippy right out of the jar. That is absolutely true. You know, we're all human, and we do whatever we do. But I think at the end of the day, for me, I had to. Um, remind myself that just because I'm home and there's food all over the place and, you know, I'm bored, it doesn't mean I have to eat all the time. Or if I'm going to eat, I need to eat things that uh, are still going to be in line with, with, uh, with my meal plan for the day. So that's where all of this came from, and I'm glad I was able to share it. Thank you. I, I think that's great advice. And, you know, uh, coming up, Dr. Wendy Sandrapport is going to be talking about a little bit about that roller coaster of the anxiety and stress and, and coping strategies to help other people. But that's great advice tonight, uh, Lorraine. And we'll be posting your poem tomorrow on uh, the blog at bewithetic.org. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Thank you, Max. Have a good show. I'm looking forward to listening. Yeah, all right. Well, Marin Morris has a lot of close friends in country music. She's even married to a fellow country singer superstar, Ryan Hurd. They got married in 2018 after first meeting during a music writing session. Here she is teaming up with another good, some other good friends, the Brothers Osborne, on her song Bones, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. Nothing's ever gonna move it when the bones are good. The rest don't matter. Yeah, the pain could feel. The clap could shatter. Let it play. Welcome back to Diaries Late Night. If you're just tuning in, you missed one of Lorraine Brooks' best poems. I really love that poem. There's so many lines um, that stick out to me, and I can't wait for you to read it on the blog tomorrow. She's so, and it's always incredible to hear her read it. She's the narrator also for a mystery podcast. Love Lorraine so much. I'm so glad she could join us. All right, so here we are dealing with the stress and anxiety of the coronavirus. I mean, that's me. I don't know about you. So uh, that's why I sometimes find myself in a rabbit hole on YouTube 
And one of our friends from the podcast, Dr. Wendy Staten-Rapport, has been posting videos. And so I've been sharing them on Divabetic and our Facebook pages. But she's known as a diabetes psych. She's worked as a social worker and a psychologist specializing in diabetes for over 28 years. For the past few weeks, like I said, she's been helping out her patients as well as good friends like myself in the diabetes community by giving us a little hope and inspiration and some coping strategies. So she's going to join us right now to help us get through this virus. Welcome to the show, Dr. Wendy. Hi, Dr. Wendy. Hi. Happy to be here. And I love when you clap before I speak. Yes. I'm good. I'm good. Because you know what? One of the things that makes us good is other people. And the other thing is when you are helping other people. So that's something to keep in mind. I mean, Lorraine started us off on the creativity as being one of the things to do to make us feel better. So thank you for helping me by letting me help you tonight. Well, you know, I All right. uh, thank you for joining because we're sticking to our schedule. You know, we're not, uh, Diva we're not getting over, we're not becoming overachievers, which I'm sure everyone's casting at because that's usually my strategy. But that's one of the strategies you're talking about is that we need to, uh, that talking and structure are two strategies that could help with cope, uh, coping with anxiety and stress during the virus. Can you kind of explain a little bit about those two things and how they could help? Um, well, the structure is is really important because otherwise we feel guilty when we're doing things like watching YouTube videos or, or binging on Netflix. If we put it in our plan that that's what we do first thing in the morning because it's fun and it feels risque, then we should do it first thing in the morning. Let's make that be our structure. The truth is that we have more willpower in the morning, so that's not so hard to do. So I would say even start your day with exercise, um, which is putting on great dance music dancing all around, and, you know, get your YouTube videos for that, you know. Um, so that the structure gives us organization, even if you know that you shower at 1 o'clock instead of 8.30 in the morning, right? Um, that's structure, too. So then you don't feel badly all morning that you haven't showered. And I definitely think you should change your pajamas twice a day, at least. But, you know, and, of course, use humor, even if nobody else gets your jokes. It's still important to think funny. So should you write so, these things down, like the night before? Like, you know, is one of the tips to kind of like, do I take a pen and pencil or even go on my computer and just kind of outline my day when I'm home? Like, or, or should I just, you know, like you're saying, do a general kind of guidepost where I say, tomorrow morning I'm going to exercise, then I'm going to do some of my correspondence, and then I'll take my shower, and so on and so on. Well, you know, it, whatever feels good for people, I like the idea of, of writing it down because then you don't feel guilty. Like if your goal is that you don't do any work or anything productive, that your project for the morning is play, then you don't feel like you messed up. So even saying it ahead of time the next the day before, you know, makes you in charge, gives you choice, gives you control over what you do with your life. And we are all looking for control, not to mention diabetes control, which by the way, is so important now um, because, number one, it improves your mood. But also when you look at the re- – I mean, like, listen, for myself as a person, I keep – I just found out I was older. I'm elderly now. I never even knew that, but I've been listening to it on TV, so now I'm elderly. Then you hear all of you with diabetes hear, you know, you're more, you're more risk-taking from diabetes. But I'll tell you what I think about that. I don't think it's accurate. I think – 
people who have poorly controlled diabetes may be at more risk. I don't think people who are happy because they're taking care of themselves or actually have relatively good outcomes, not perfect, they're improving their immune systems. So uh, I, I think uh, important for us very much so to use that structure that we're talking about to control our diabetes. That's the one thing we can. But you're also Pardon? bringing up a, a point that we're being reinforced by the media over and over again with that message, which could create a lot of overwhelming fear and anxiety. And another strategy you had was about allowing your anxiety and then limiting your anxiety. So break that down for me because just what you said, that message, you hear it all the time that uh, you're at high risk because you have diabetes. You're at high risk because you're older. You're at high risk. You know, it just continues and continues without a lot of, like you just mentioned, uh, specifics about some of the reasons, like if, you, if you're well managed with diabetes, that you probably would not be at high risk. But I'm just curious about right. when you say allow the anxiety, how do I allow my anxiety? Well, that could be part of your structure, too. You could say uh, for 15 minutes, you know, from 10 to 10, 15, I'm going to complain. I'm going to feel bad. I'm going to talk about my anxiety, my resentment, my adjustment to all this, you know, um, whatever you feel. Just make it be part of your structure. You're allowed to have it. You'd be crazy if you didn't have anxiety, right? So here's the thing. You know, there's what we call emotional literacy. I think I've talked about that before, being aware. But I just heard somebody was calling it RAIN. And remember, the thing about RAIN, it goes away. So what RAIN stands for is recognize your anxiety or your depression or your bad feeling, allow it, that's the A. The I is investigate it, figure out where is this coming from. And the last, the N for RAIN, is nurture yourself. Nurture yourself, nurture, and nurture does not mean, you know, go into the skippies. I like GIF, by the way. And one of my behavioral changes is that I didn't realize you weren't supposed to eat out of the jar because it's my jar. But what I've done is I never take a tablespoon anymore. I only use a teaspoon. So I'm already taking less. So if we recognize our feelings and allow them and do it at a timely matter, same time every day, and then if you don't feel like being upset, then don't do it. But you left time for it, and you don't have to choose to fill that time. Because we can manage. Remember, feelings pass, um, and resilience is something which can be learned and that, you know, one of the ways that we do resilience is through social connection. Now, we can connect. Zoom, zoom, zoom. We are connecting. Therapy, finding purpose. And what Lorraine's done is something wonderful. She's being creative. That's another thing. Um, being creative. Find something creative so that you have a way to express all these feelings that you're having because we're all having them. And then the other is keep on thinking of the big picture. This will be done. And think about it. All of you who have had diabetes or somebody in your family, how did you ever adjust? But, oh, my God, you did, right? And could you do it better? Well, then use this crisis time to say, let me control and choose to control something now. All right. Well, another thing is this whole close quarters thing with our, our soulmates and our family members. And apparently, the New York Post, uh, New York Post, <laughs> re- reported that uh, lawyers are getting an influx of couples calling 
who are sick and tired of being around each other, and I can't wait for the courts to open to um, file for divorce. So I'm just curious, like, now that we're spending so much time together in close quarters with our loved ones, are there any tips for kind of uh, managing how you manage your time when they're going through the anxiety and other things that you were just talking about? Like, what would you say to someone who's just going up the walls from their partner, uh, you know, their, the anxiety and stress that their partner keeps kind of turning around and sending to them? Well, you know, first of all, one of the things I do think is important is this, is at this time is that we consider therapy. Telecommunication has just passed. Um, that there is permission for people to, like, in other words, I'm, as a therapist, I'm not allowed to have anybody come into my office, but I can talk on the phone and uh, do FaceTime or Zoom. Um, and I think that's a really helpful thing to do for couples or individuals. I say call your therapist, not your lawyer. The other part is to give permission not only to yourself to have these feelings and use the RAIN, recognize, allow, investigate, and nurture, but allow your partner to do it and to name it and to say, oh, my God, you're going crazy and you're so angry at me. Um, okay, keep on talking. I want to hear more. Now I've just changed that argument into I am listening. I don't have to fix you. I don't have to change it. I just want to hear you. You know, as a therapist, I don't have to necessarily fix and change everybody. My first step is hearing and listening. And if we really recognize that, of course, everybody is going through so many feelings. Our purpose has changed. Our meaning has changed. You know, people have financial issues. If you feel you're stuck, really call your therapist, not your lawyer. Name it, claim it, and give yourself permission. And figure out if there's something you can do. You know, and, and say, let's, let's set the timer, 15 minutes. You go, what upsets you? But the other question is, why did you fall in love with me? You've got to do 15 minutes on that after you tell me what you're so angry about now. Because you know what? People sometimes, their anger, that's a psych word, displaced, onto another person um, when they, because they have no place for it. So don't be the person who takes it in. Use a healthy boundary. But hear and listen. And no, I think it's great advice. Right. Yeah, go ahead. I have uh, one more question before we take a break. Um, you know, so many people. I work in the I worked in the entertainment industry for a long time, and of course, that's been kind of like everything else, especially in New York City, shut down. And I would think there would be a lot of people out there who were just entering that career path, and now to find like, wow, if we can't gather for in large numbers anytime soon, and you know, according to uh, the governor in New York. 12 to 18 months before we fully resume our lives as we know them. I just wonder how do how what advice do you give someone who's kind of contemplating the much larger questions in their life about what am I? I mean, obviously, what am I going to do is a big question. But just even in my my passion for my field and where I kind of thought I would be working, what will I do if I can't even go to that? Uh, I can't live that dream because that dream is no longer really available. Well, I think I would say, you know, number one, name it. Okay, I have sadness and, and loss about where my dream is. And the other is, okay, I can't live that dream now. What will I do in between? And, you know, and when you watch, for example, Jimmy Fallon, for example, when he's doing his late night talk show, he's brought his children in. And 
like somebody was saying to me the other day, I hope he keeps them on when, when we go back to him being able to have a show not from his house. You know, he's made, you know, he made, and that's, I mean, he's, he's a big shot. So he started out and he has his purpose, but he, he really made sure he's doing something without all the backup. So not letting go of your dream for now doesn't mean letting go of your dream. How can you change it? This is where resilience comes in. You know, it's very important when you feel like you have this loss, get some therapy, find out what other purpose, what is the meaning of this change? You know, what is the meaning of this change? You know, and it's interesting to me, for example, one of the things that's comforting for me was when I think about um, that our society has stopped, you know, everything stopped. So we've been worried about climate change and not handling climate change. Why? Because we have to make sure that people make money. And so here we are stopping. So I thought, oh, my goodness, this is another way to look at it. What's the meaning of this virus? What are we going to take away from this virus? You know, did money matter too much? Did success matter too much? Let me regroup and think about what kind of success I need to have. Can it be creative? Can it be about family? Can it be about values? Can it be about altruism? You know, um, and I really believe everybody should be writing. Maybe you never knew that you could be a good writer. I mean, I've written five books. I'm not even a good writer, but I love expressing myself. So, um, you know, just think resilience, recalibrate, reset, you know, the way we have to do with our computers, reset what your goals are. And it will come back. Things come back. This too shall pass. I think I read that somewhere. I love it. Great advice. Sorry, you're just sticking around. Okay. You're going to come back after we get some advice about managing medications with Dr. Mandy Reese. But right now, we're going to take another break and listen to some more great music. Um, country star Casey Musgraves and Marion Morris hail from the Lone Star State, Texas, and the pair's friendship was one of the reasons that Marion moved to Nashville to begin with. Through their, though their musical styles are quite aren't quite similar, the two women have uh, been trailblazers in their own in their own musical path. So here they are. Here's another reason why Marin Morris is such good friends with so many country artists. She sings about them. Here's the song, All My Favorite People, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. I mean, if you're like me, you don't want to keep taking trips to the pharmacy if you don't have to. So 
So we wanted to bring back uh, a certified diabetes educator who happens to be a pharmacist. She's been on the show many times before. I always find her very insightful and uh, makes it easy for me to understand. So please welcome to the show Dr. Mandy Reed. Hi, Dr. Mandy. Hi, I'm so happy to be here uh, we couldn't hear you over that standing ovation. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're glad to have I'm you so back. I'm so happy to join in tonight. Yes. This, this is, I want to get right to this because this is kind of a problem, I think, for how you're dealing with your prescriptions. I mean, if I don't want to go to the pharmacy, do I go online? It's just my, and I, I want to be honest, like, this has happened to me. I'm on um, medications for my psoriasis. And I heard that I could ask for a, a second refill so I don't have to make multiple trips to the pharmacy because, you know, we're sheltering in here in New York City. Uh, so I went to my pharmacy and I said, can I get a second refill on this just so I don't have to come back in another three weeks? And they said, no, your, your, um, your insurance won't handle it, won't do that. So what do you do mm -hmm. when that happens? And, and feel free to give more advice off of that. Okay, sure. That's a, um, that's a tough situation because I know um, in many states, um, pharmacy rules are being loosened so that um, people can be given, you know, 90-day supply rather than a 30-day supply. And what I would do in that situation is I would contact my healthcare provider who prescribed the medication and ask them to send an updated prescription to the pharmacy for a 90-day supply, and the insurance company will be required to pay for it. Um, and then the other option, well, the other thing I would do, too, is if you continue to have an issue, I would contact your um, insurance commissioner for the state of New York um, and file a complaint um, with the insurance company um, because insurance companies, they are supposed to, if the provider is going to write, change a prescription to a 90-day supply, they should fill it. I mean, they should allow it to be filled. And how do you feel about online delivery orders? I mean, is it smart for a lot of people with diabetes right now to um, go to online delivery? Yeah, so I would say right now is probably an ideal time to switch to mail order pharmacy where they send it to you. Um, and it, I would say the one sort of caveat with the mail order pharmacy is that it can take up to 14 days for the processing and delivering of the medication, which can be frustrating. So folks need to definitely plan ahead for that. The other option is and many times local pharmacies, locally independent pharmacies will actually have a delivery service. So where they deliver the medications to you. All right, and, and let's talk about reusing some of our supplies because in this moment, again, a lot of people might <clears throat> might not have the money to picture Landsat's uh, strips, everything. So I just want to talk about this for a minute. Like how, what are, are there any kind of basic guidelines with reusing your, um, your Landsat? So um, while I don't typically encourage folks to do that, I do know that there are times when that's 
necessary uh, reusing the lancet. So um, I'll typically tell folks, make sure you clean your finger um, really well. You can clean the needle with some rubbing alcohol and try to, if at all possible, change out that lancet at least once a day. Um, because there is, at some of the stores, you can get lancets fairly inexpensively. And what about if you don't, if you want to cut down on your checking? I know in the past uh, I've talked with other educators about pattern management. Like if you know if someone is getting concerned because they're waiting for those unemployment checks to come through, they've just been furloughed and so on. How how else would you recommend right now to manage your diabetes in the best way possible on a restricted budget? Um, so I would check to see if there's any local resources in the community um, to help uh, with checking, uh, to help get resources for checking blood sugar. And secondly, if somebody is not on insulin therapy uh, and they have type 2 diabetes, they're not really on maybe any particular type of medication such as a sulfonylurea or insulin that's going to cause low blood sugar, you know, check the blood sugar one time a day and alternate the time of day that um, you check your blood sugar is effective. And, you know, I'm a big fan of the Freestyle Libre, which is the sort of where you scan the sensor. Um, they have a reader and they also have an app on the phone that you can use. But that can be a bit pricey, a little over $100 if it's not covered by insurance. Right, and that and that begins to cause the anxiety and stress roller coaster I was just talking about, uh, Dr. Wendy about. So now let's talk about insulin for a minute because this is a big issue for people. Um, I'm not. I'm. I'm just curious, like on the strategy, like uh, not that you're. Um, where would you turn? Would you go right to the to uh, would you be going to the manufacturer now to try to see if you could get um, some insulin if you were on fur if you've been furloughed? How would you how would you go after obtaining insulin now if you just found out that your finances were cut? Okay, so there are two um, options that I myself, if I was in that situation, and um, I would take action on is one, um, I would call the pharmaceutical company Lilly, um, as they have a value program that they just put out um, in light of COVID-19, and um, a person can call the 1-800 number for the new Lilly program, and it's a $35 copay for insulin. Um, so that's one option. Um, the other option is uh, Novo Nordisk is now providing uh, one refill on insulin at no cost um, for persons with diabetes who are on insulin therapy and can't afford it. So it's a one-time in a lifetime. Um, on the Novo Nordisk plan, but that is an option um, in contacting Novo Nordisk for more information about that program. Um, but if, you know, I did have $35 and I was able to pinch that out of my budget, I would call Lily and um, get enrolled in that program with the $35 copay for insulin. And what advice do you give someone who, um, if they did that, and let's say they switched their insulins, because sometimes I've heard through multiple diabetic gatherings and things that 
when you switch your brand of insulin, people have had problems. And I'm just curious if you have any advice on that when you're switching brands, because I feel that makes that is something that people are sensitive to. Um, sure. Yeah, and that's a that's a really good point. And so, um, the insulin such as like mealtime insulin such as Humalog U100, Nivolagapedra are technically equivalent in many senses, although the drug molecule itself is different for each one of them in terms of their onset, when it peaks, how long it works for. It's very similar for those. The person's an individual's response to each of those insulins is going to be different. So one person could tolerate Novolog really well, get a good response to that insulin therapy but not get the same response from Humalog or Pedra. So their dose may have to be adjusted when switching from one brand to um, another brand. And then sometimes you, there could be the risk of a person could have some type of skin rash from one insulin as compared uh, to another insulin. But I do um, advise folks who um, have been injecting uh, insulin in their abdominal or their belly area for a while. Make sure that they're make sure you're rotating, um, because I have actually seen in clinics and patients that keep uh, injecting in that same area in the abdominal or the stomach area, and they start to get infections in the area. So it's important to rotate around to prevent that irritation. And is there, a gen, is there a general time frame that if I switch to insulins and it's not working for me, that you would tell me, you know, may give it X amount of time max and maybe it will get better? Or is the protocol for me, you know, I'm going to be frustrated and angry about this because I've heard this from women, other women in diabetic, uh, you know, is there an alternative? You know, you know what I'm saying. Like, is there is there a time frame that maybe things will get better if I'm switching the site, like you just said, where I do the injections? Is there anything else I could know? Yeah. So I would say give it one or two weeks to see how the blood sugar is responding um, to the different insulins. I'd say give it at least a couple of weeks. Um, now, if a person were to start having skin reactions an insulin and it's not in an area where they've been injecting a lot, that needs to be addressed within just a few days. The person doesn't need to keep um, injecting insulin if they're getting an allergic type reaction on their skin. Okay, so now I have uh, two more questions for you. You're kind of in the hot seat tonight because these are um, things that I'm interested in talking about. So uh, one of the interviews we had last year was with um, was regarding Kevin's Law, which was about the idea of an expired uh, uh, prescription for insulin. And so this man, uh, Kevin, went to his, he went on New Year's Eve, and he went to get a, uh, to fill his prescription, and it was expired. And he did not have insurance, and so the pharmacy could not fill the prescription and he could not get in touch with the doctor. So, and it did have tragic consequences. I understand now that 14, maybe 17 states have kind of changed uh, the laws regarding this, and now that people with uh, life-saving medications like insulin can get an expired prescription refilled for 30 day, with a 30-day uh, quantity. Do you know anything about this, and can you kind of share a little bit of the background if you do? 
Sure. I mean, I've heard of it. Um, I've heard of that law, and um, I don't know a lot of uh, in depth about it. But I will say, quite often, pharmacies also have policies so that um, patients can get, you know, life-altering medications, um, get those refilled um, enough to get them through. Because really, no person should leave the pharmacy without their life-saving medication. Um, I would say, in his case, and I will say, this is. Um, not exactly the not exactly the same, but uh, for a person that comes to the pharmacy, they need a refill, they lost their job, they can't afford it. Two options I would go with that. One, I would look at contacting Nova Nordisk uh, for that patient to get access and um, to that insulin that they desperately need because they do have a program in place to address that. Second. Walmart actually has a Rely On brand insulin, which is actually made by Novo Nordisk, which is human insulin, and that's available for $25 a vial. And I think it's like $42. Dr. Manny, that's a whole issue with people saying insulin for all. And when people talk about the outrageous prices in insulin, and then people come right back and say, oh, but Walmart is offering this one for $25. What's the big deal? And like we were just talking about it a minute ago, it is a big deal if I can't get the, my prescription for insulin with the brand I want that my body works best with that I'm now being asked to go from driving a Mercedes to I own a Chevette, so a Chevette. You know what I mean? So, I mean, like, there is – I'm, I'm yeah. not arguing with you. I'm just saying, like, this is an issue for people because I just feel like people cut people at the knees making this argument by saying there's a $25 insulin on the market. Why are people – why can't you just get it? And the reality is, like you just explained a little bit earlier – all insulins aren't created equal, and so that really isn't a solution for everyone. Am I, do you agree no, or disagree? And I, don't I, I can, you know, I completely agree with you. It is not, it is not an answer um, for every person out there. Those insulins do work differently than the um, insulins that are analog insulins. They use different technology to make it, um, particularly for persons with type one. Um, and, and how those insulins just work from a um, sort of pharmacokinetics kind of in the body, how they work is different. So in a case like that, I would say you just to get them through. But you know what? There's so many programs there now. And I will tell you, I deal with this day in and day out in the clinic. There are patients that I apply, um, I help them apply for patient assistance. There's a gentleman recently that ran out of his health insurance. And, or lost his job, didn't have health insurance. So I went, worked with him to apply for patient assistance to get um, some of these analog insulins so he could get the insulin he wanted. Um, I also provided samples uh, through the office um, so that he could get um, what he needed. So um, there's step and there's programs out there such as the Lilly program. So Again, the, the provider's that, office. You know, when we talk about the anxiety and stress related to the virus, these extend past that, and it seems like even more so where it's, it's exponentially gotten worse on some of these levels, especially with people who are on insulin therapy and trying to adjust to how they're going to stay alive given the new financial normal. 
Yes, yes. And I do want to mention um, that this is important to note with the new Lilly program that they just rolled out because of COVID-19. And I know it's not the end-all be-all solution, but that $35 copay is for people with or without health insurance. Oh, great. Okay. So, so all right. So uh, we're going to wrap yes. up with a fun question that I wanted to ask you. You heard, uh, again, I'm I'm going to be talking about our past guests all evening, but Dr. Wendy said you've got to start writing. You know, everyone should be writing. I have been writing. That's Everyone should have a huge gasp right now because I'm afraid of what I could be writing. But <laughs> I'm working on a new mystery podcast. Yeah. I, am, I am fascinated about um, – uh, well, it's going to be a little bit about this Kevin's Law because I found that very, I find that interesting. I want to make sure, sure we're raising awareness for the importance of, of why that law is important and it needs to be in more states. But the other issue I had was about uh, glucagon nasal spray. Have you, have you ever administered it? What are the side effects? Who should use it? And why would I choose that over an injectable? Okay, sure. So to begin with, um, it's, basically been approved for people that are four years of age or older. Um, in terms of um, side effects that folks can experience, um, they can experience uh, vomiting, as you would expect from um, the hypoglycemia, but also just because it's a nasal spray, watery eyes, nasal congestion, a little bit of itching, um, and a little bit of uh, redness in the eyes, and the eyes can be a little bit itchy and sneezing, and a little bit of um, headache. Um, but it's really appropriate for any person four years of age or older with severe hypoglycemia. And with that, I mean a blood sugar that's, you know, 54 or less, and whether folks have type 1 or type 2 diabetes. And I will tell you, ease of use, so it's much easier to insert a nasal spray and spray it than it is to uh, do an injection. So um, that's one advantage is just ease of use of a, of a nasal spray as compared um, to an injection. And uh, I myself have not had the opportunity um, to administer this um, for a person um, with diabetes who is experiencing um, severe low blood sugar. All right. So in the in the context of a cozy mystery and just uh, I want listeners to be aware, just in fantasy land, is it possible that I could fatally administer a dose of that? Um, it would be very difficult uh, to fatally administer that. I'm not going to say it could never happen um, because I don't like to say never, but it would no, be that's, that's, uh, that's quite difficult. That's yes. a good cliffhanger, and you know why? Because uh, my next guest, Patricia Eddie Gentle, will be on the crime scene when something like this happens. So that's that was really wonderful, Dr. Mandy. Thank you again for answering all <laughs> my questions you. and the questions of our listeners regarding what's going on with the virus. And if it's continuing in May, I hope you join us again. Right now, everybody, it's time to hear more from Marin Morris. Uh, like I said, we're having problems with some of our audio tonight, but this song is called Make Out With Me. Um, and I really enjoy it. It's off the new album, Girl, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen to more of our musical inspiration, Marin Morris. You got a kiss, I still taste. And I left from the way. I got one more minute of this message to burn. I hope you get it, because I mean everything. 
Well, you know, if you're like me, welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Vedic, and if you're like me, then you always look forward to hearing from our next guest who's been on the program for the last 10 years. Please welcome to the show, Patricia Addy Gentle. Hi, Patricia. Hi, Max. Happy to be here. I hope you were taking notes because I was kind of giving you some secrets to next year's murder mystery on the show. So uh, uh, with Dr. Mandy right there. So I'm I'm writing this, uh, Dr. Wendy told me, and I'm sure she's going to regret that next year when we come out with this murder mystery. But in the meantime, I hope you were taking notes during that that last segment. How are you all after the murder? Yes, I heard that. Sounds like next year is going to be quite interesting. <laughs> well, you'll be there on the scene, and actually you'll be at rehearsal next week when we rehearse for this year's podcast. You know, one of the things that everyone's thinking about during the virus is what we have in common. And so I wanted to talk a little bit with you for a minute before we meet our, our diva guest tonight, Alexis. Um about what people have in common regarding diabetes, because, you know, we always get so siloed and want to differentiate things. Not a, a lot of people are saying, according to a study in the Lancet Diabetes and Endocrinology, that adults with diabetes might not just have two or three or four types. That would be type 1, type 2, gestational prediabetes, but they actually could be categorized as five types, and that's just between type 1 and type 2. What is that all about? Well, Max, I was um, very amazed to get information concerning how disease, how uh, diabetes is looked at now uh, by some as disease clusters. And so they cluster them in uh, cluster 1, cluster 2, cluster 3, cluster 4, and cluster 5. And so the different clusters are kind of different in that in cluster 1, they're looking at severe autoimmune diabetes, usually known as type 1. And it's characterized by insulin deficiency and by the presence of autoantibodies. So in this particular cluster, about 6 to 15% of the subjects were identified to have that. So cluster 2. It's severe insulin deficient diabetes. It's characterized by younger age, by insulin deficiency, by poor metabolic control, but there are no autoantibodies. And so in this one, uh, 9 to 20% of subjects were identified. Cluster 3 is severe insulin resistant diabetes and with this one there's significantly higher risk of kidney disease and it was identified with 11 to 17 percent of the participants cluster four is mild obesity related diabetes most common in obese individuals and this particular uh, group was affected um, 18 to 23 percent of subjects were affected. And then in cluster five, we're looking at mild age-related diabetes. It's the most common that you see in elderly individuals, and it's the most common form 
and affects 30 to 47% of the subjects. All of these are adult subjects. And at the end of the day, what does that mean? Like, are we, you know, I'm, I'm realizing that the last cluster five is the vast majority of people are almost twice as much frequency uh, have what you call the mild age related diabetes. What did you take away from this? Is this going to help people? Is this going to make it more confusing? Is this going to add more chaos to people's lives? Or is this going to well, help simplify matters? I kind of feel like it's a little bit um, confusing. And but for the for the consumer, however, I don't know if that language should be used uh, by medical professionals, but in treatment and in the pathophysiology, when a provider is looking at it with those distinct types of of characteristics, it may be a little easier to treat, a little more on point types of treatment. Well, that would be interesting because... um, Patricia, as you know, our next guest is is a new, brand spanking new diabetes advocate who's living with type 1 diabetes. I'll be curious to hear what she thinks of these clusters, which when you were saying it reminded me of the Hunger Games in the different districts, but uh, that was a weird comparison. Anyhow, that's not important. What's important is we're about to meet our special guest, Alexis, right now. She's a diabetes advocate. She's kicking off a whole new coaching program and she's here to tell about it. Tell us about it. Please welcome to the show, Alexis Gray. Hi, Alexis. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good. How are you doing today? Uh, good. Help you help yourself to some of Lorraine Brooks' fabulous lemon pound cake with half the sugar. She made oh, that wonderful. earlier. Yeah, she was going to do a, a glaze, but she said she didn't want to use confectionery sugar, so she's serving it plain. I think it's delicious. Um, all right, so Alexis, we're so glad to have you on the show, and we're thrilled that you're um, dedicating some of your time and energy to helping others living with diabetes. I want to talk about, uh, first of all, how, how are you coping with type 1 diabetes during the virus? Well, it doesn't really stop me. Um one thing I can say about the virus is that a lot of people panic whenever they hear diabetic and another disease because, you know, we're predisposed as it is already. We already have an autoimmune disease being type 1, and then type 2s also suffer um, with health issues as well just for the fact that we have a lot of the same issues, um, different mechanisms of action, of course, but most people get super, super nervous. It's really about just keeping yourself clean and protecting yourself as much as possible. So wearing a mask from the studies that I've read can help, but, and then you have other people who say it doesn't really make a difference. My thing is just try to be as clean as possible. Always wash your hands and try to keep the social distancing to a minimum. If you can store food, do that. If you can't, do the very best you can to just not be around as many people as possible during these times. A lot of people focus on the wrong thing, which is one of the things that I focus on, that depression, mindset. When you're focused on the problem, then that's where you stay. You have to focus on the solution. That's the only way to get out of it. I love it. All right, so now share a little bit about your initial diagnosis of type 1 diabetes with everyone so we can become more familiar with your story. So I don't really have a complete memory myself of how I was diagnosed. I've heard a bunch of stories. I was diagnosed at five years old. Um, Ultimately, what I remember is being told 
a lot of this. We went to the grocery store one time, me and my mom, and it was just me and her. We turned down one of the little grocery aisles, and apparently when we got down that aisle, I started acting funny. I ran into the side of the groceries on the right side. I would keep walking, knock things off the shelf, change direction, go over to the other side of the shelf, and knock some things off of there, and I just kind of kept going. My mom was panicking until I got to the end, and apparently that's where I passed out. Um, she just dropped everything, picked me up, threw me in the car, and ca- called 911, sped down there. I'm not entirely sure how we got to the hospital, but we got there, and ultimately that's where I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Um, after I was stable, of course, they moved me to the child unit, and unlike what a lot of people say about being diagnosed, they have horror stories. My time in the hospital at that point wasn't so bad. The nurses were really, really kind. Everybody was really friendly. We even had a giant playroom on that on that particular floor, so I made a lot of friends, and I didn't feel out of place or anything like that, but once I was released, of course, then it was different. Um, I started caving in on myself thinking I was the only one. I couldn't find anybody who was just like me. I struggled with that for several years, and here we are. (laughs) So my diagnosis, I'm not entirely sure how it happened, but that's what I do know. Um, I want to just take a minute because uh, you mentioned healthcare workers, and it's 7 o'clock right now on the East Coast where we're uh, broadcasting. So there's a lot of noise outside my window in New York City because this is when we're all appreciating healthcare workers around the country as well as around the globe for everything they're doing during the virus to help all the rest of us stay happy, healthy, and safe. And I'm staying in and sheltering in because they're going to work to make sure the rest of us stay healthy. So I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just had to do it because I could hear them screaming out my window, and I wish I could share that with everyone <laughs> on Walmart. Um, so, Alexis, I mean, this is a pivotal moment, though. The care you got from those health care workers are really what's inspiring you to want to become an advocate. And so when you think about it, like you were just saying, some of the, what are some of the takeaways that you think, you know, that you're going to strive for based on those health care workers that you met when you were five? Some of the key takeaways is to always provide a smile. When I think about some of the stuff that we had to go through, being little kids, taking shots and things like that, being on schedule. I can remember one specific time where it was time for me to take my shot. I had just gone and done arts and crafts. I gave my mom my craft. I was really happy. And the nurse comes in. She's like, all right, now it's time to take your shot. And that's when my face fell. And I just kind of lugged myself up to the bed. And I was like, I really don't want to. She's like, I know, but it's okay. And I can't remember exactly what she did, but ultimately I was a lot calmer. I actually didn't feel anything. And I kind of walked away with a smile. Things like that are what I remember of that hospital. And while a lot of people don't have a great support system, it's kind of crazy all over the world, even now with the virus, even before then. Um, I want to be kind of that person that can stand up for people the way that those particular healthcare workers stood up for me. Not everybody has something like that. And then I was even more blessed to have parents who cared. There are some who don't even get that. So that's the whole reason that I am where I am today. I just want to put that. I love it. And how are you going to do that? So how... How can people find out about you, and how can they enjoy some of the programs you're going to be offering? Well, right now, I actually have a summit that we just released. It's called the Cove Chronicles, and the reason it's called that is because there's a Facebook group that it's being held in called the Diabetic Cove or the D-Cove. You just go to the dcove.com. You can find it. And what we're doing is having a whole bunch of experts come in. We've got Dr. Joel Furman, who's actually speaking the first day on April 20th. And I've got somebody speaking every single day. And that's just a free summit. Um, Each talk is only available for like 24 hours. 
but each person who's talking will be in there answering questions for that 24 hours. And then at the end, I think I'll um, do something maybe with all of it, but I want to give everybody a chance to have that knowledge. There's a lot of misinformation surrounding diabetes, and it's kind of alarming. Everybody's kind of on a different page. So um, I tried to find as many people as I could to kind of help change that. So that's my way of doing that for now. I also have a um, And how do you program. get your information? Like, how do you navigate the chaos? Where do you go for if you were going to go – right now to finding out what the difference between the Walmart insulin is and your insulin that you're taking, where would you go? If I, gave, I said, go, Alexis. Where, 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 well, where's your trust? Um, I remember, this is honestly just a lot of the stuff that I've learned over the course of my life. So it started out with a lot of the pamphlets and books that they gave my mom um, at first where I really wasn't caring very much. She kind of did most of the work. She poured over the books, went to all the meetings, took all the notes, and when I finally started caring, that's when I started paying attention in school, reading peer-reviewed journals. And I honestly, when I look anything up online, I always type the words peer-reviewed journal or peer-reviewed article at the end of it so I can actually see a study. So I depend on studies. I depend on my schooling. And there's even an app, actually, that I use. I think it's called Medscape. A lot of nurses and doctors use it. Um, it gets kind of complicated, though, if you're not familiar with the terminology, but it tells you the mechanism of action for drugs, um, what things do, what kind of drugs you can take and can't take together. So you can actually use it to prepare yourself to go to a doctor's visit. Sometimes they miss stuff, but you can actually use that kind of thing to check behind them. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> I love it. Great job. All right. Well, guess what? Uh, Alexis, you know, on Diabetes Late Night, we like to play games, and you're in the hot seat because we're going to play a game tonight. I was talking to Dr. Wendy Sand Rappaport. She's joining us along with uh, Patricia Addy Gentle. You know, we were all sitting down thinking about uh, the virus and said, you know, what do we have in common? So tonight's game is based on this musical song off of Naren Morris's new album entitled Girl. She's doing a duet with one of my favorite singers, Brandy Carl. Here is Common. I guess I always Once again, we're having technical difficulties because of the virus, but that was common, and so we're bringing in our our wonderful panel. We've got Patricia, we've got Dr. Wendy, and we've got Lorraine, uh, half sugar lemon pound cake to enjoy. Uh, Alexis, you're helping us out, learn about how things are common between people living with diabetes. Are you ready to play this fabulous game? You really don't have a choice. Sure. Okay, great. All right. What do all types of diabetes have in common? Is it A, your body doesn't make enough insulin? B, your body can't use the insulin it does produce? C, a combination of both A and B? What I would like to say that it's B. Oh, you're all types. Go with I'm what? sorry. It would be C. You said all types? So you're saying it's C? Yes. What, type, what, are, what do all types of diabetes have in common? A, your body doesn't make enough insulin. B, your body can't use the insulin it produces. C, it's a combination of both A and B. Your final answer? It's going to be C. Patricia? Yes, you, you. are absolutely correct. Oh. 
That's right. In type in type one diabetes, the body isn't making insulin or insulin that can be used. It's not sufficient. And in type two, you usually see a lot of insulin resistance, where maybe someone may be making insulin, but they're unable to utilize it. Mm-hmm. So it is a combination A B A and B. And uh, Dr. Wendy. Everyone with diabetes is stressed out, right? I mean, that's another thing they all have in common, especially with a potential di- diagnosis. Yes. Oh, so how I'll do you I'll handle that from the initial diagnosis? Yeah. I mean, are there? Well, do, we, do we go back to the rule of 15? What would you advise people who are dealing with the, that common emotion of anxiety and stress from a diabetes diagnosis? I think, you know, really allowing, go back to the RAIN, recognize and honor, you would be crazy if you weren't angry and depressed about the illness. But it can't be your position statement in life. It has to be what you feel in your adjustment reaction. That's what we call it, an adjustment reaction. It's not mental health disorder. It's an adjustment reaction to a, a shock, a loss. So, you know, like look, look at Alexis. She became powerful. She took what changed her and she decided to become powerful about it. And so I feel I'm very strong on this. If you get diagnosed with diabetes, you must see a psychologist immediately or a coach or a social worker. Um, You must see it immediately in the same way that you'd see a dietitian because grieving and honestly understanding your emotions and your family's emotions and teaching the right conversation so that your mother doesn't say to you, did you test? She says, when you're done testing, why don't you come share it with me? Because the first one makes you feel guilty. The other one says, you've got a partner. And if somebody says to you, why are you eating that? You want to recognize your rage that someone is in your face telling you that. And you feel it for not 15 minutes. Sorry, Max, you've got to shorten that one for two minutes. And then you say, you know what? I love that you care about me. When someone says to you, why are you eating that? You say, I love that you care about me. Now, mind your own business. No, that's not good. But I love that you care about me. Your, your rights. I'm eating because I'm stressed. Thank you. That's helpful. I think I'll just have half of it. That way, you, you are a team. You have a family. You don't have to be judged. We all, listen, the whole world uses food and alcohol when they shouldn't. So to me, like with this COVID thing, please, yes, if you haven't taken good care of yourself before, use this as an opportunity to choose to do this. And you can do telemedicine with a doctor, with a dietitian. If you feel stressed and you're diagnosed now, you can do telemedicine with a therapist. If you're fighting with your partner, don't call your lawyer. Call your therapist or a new therapist and say, "Come, look, we're at the dining, we're at the dining room table. We're with the whole family. Can you do a family therapy session? Yes, I can. You know what I'm saying? So that you're crazy. Yeah. You know, I've, I've always told you my slogan, you don't have to be crazy to see a shrink. You have to be crazy not to when you have diabetes because so much Hello, of it is right. how you we're feel gonna, about it. Yes. We're still moving on with what? common. But we got way too much in common. So what's the point of fighting? We got way too many problems. If I'm being honest, I don't know what got Because we got way too much in common. That 
That was Marin Morris, our diva inspiration for April, along with Brandy Carlisle. All right, we were talking all night about food. You just heard Dr. Wendy Satin Rappaport mention it. Lorraine Brooks was talking about it at the top of the show. But, Alexis, here we are playing our common game right now. Last question before we meet our special guest, author Vivian Chen. All right, so here's your question. Limiting bread, pasta, and cake is a good start to limiting the amount of carbohydrates you eat in your diet during the virus, but carbs can lurk in some of the less obvious places for your refrigerator. Which item contains less than one gram of carbohydrate? Is it A, Italian salad dressing, B, a protein bar, C, eggs? The question is, which item contains less than one gram of carbohydrate? Is it A, Italian salad dressing, B, protein bar, C, eggs? Final answer. Italian dressing? Is that your final answer? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's not working. It's not working. Um. The answer, Patricia? The answer is actually eggs. Eggs uh-huh. have less than a gram of carbohydrate. But with eggs, you still have to be careful and and uh, manage the, your portion size because you do have um, some saturated fat there. But eggs are the least of those things that have the, um, when you're looking at carbohydrates. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, uh, counting carbs is important, is it not, Alexis, with good diabetes management? It certainly is. It is, and, you know, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm wondering if you ever had any noodles because now it's time to welcome my final guest. I'm so excited. I'm I'm very nervous because I'm a fan of her books. She's the author of the Noodle Shop mystery series. I got expired by her because I've been reading so many cozy mysteries, and as you know, we produce a cozy mystery podcast every year in September, and uh, our good friend Tanya Cappies is also a friend of this author. So please welcome to the show for the very first time, Vivian Chen. Hello, Vivian. Hi. Thank you for Thank having me. Thank you for me. joining us. Of course. Thank, uh, I, all right, so I read Murder Low Maine, and I love it, and I have to go back to the beginning of the series. You've written six noodle shop mysteries. Uh, tell us a little bit about what inspired this uh, series. Um, well, I think my main inspiration really came from creating the character of Lana Lee. And um, I based kind of everything that happens um, around her character. So when I first got my contract, um, one of the things that St. Martin's was looking for was an Asian mystery that took place at a noodle shop. And that was the criteria. I could do anything else that I wanted to. So I based it off of this mixed race character who was in her late 20s going through a rough patch and went to go work for her parents family restaurant right she was getting over a bad breakup and the interesting thing though about this is she is a mixed race right she's Taiwanese and her father I was is assuming American I read the third book so I didn't remember his um ethnicity, but that, I think that is a story. And then you also said it in Cleveland, which I don't really think of as a very big Asian community. Can you talk a little bit about both of those 
uh, characteristics and why you chose to do that? Sure. Um, well, a lot of the reason why I chose Cleveland is because I'm from here. Um, when I first started, I wasn't sure how I was going to pull it off because it is definitely not a big um, Asian population area. We do have a lot of history here that I didn't know about until I started researching for this book. Um, so I got to learn in the process of also creating this, but I, I felt that it was definitely doable. Um, we do have a, a smaller Asian community on the east side of Cleveland, so I kind of mirrored that. I made my own plaza and put it on the west side so that I can take the characters to the real places, but not have anything actually bad happen in real establishment. So all of the murders and poisonings and everything else, those happen in fictitious uh, businesses. And then why did you choose that she, her mother is Taiwanese and her father, what is the race of her father? Is he uh, European? So he's English. Okay. Is that, is that your story too? Or did you just, did you, just come up with the idea of doing a mixed race uh, lead character? Oh, no. I'm mixed race, too. Um, my dad, in real life, is Italian, though. Um, so my mom is from Taiwan, um, and that's kind of where I took it from was, you know, creating Lana was something for me that I felt was missing when I was younger. It was very hard to find mixed race characters, and the experience is very different. Um, so when I had this opportunity to start the series, I thought, okay, who, you know, who am I going to make this person? And I thought, well, what do I want? What do I want to see? And, you know, having a mixed race character was something that I've always wanted to have something to identify with. Um, you know, when I was little and I would go to the Barbie aisle, there was no doll that necessarily fit me. And so I felt like the same thing was in literature, and I wanted to bring that to the table. No, I really enjoyed that. I mean, in Murder Low Maine, Lana Lee, your lead character, actually, you know, some of the people, uh, some of the other characters have a problem with her being mixed race, and they continually kind of make fun of her or bully her around that. You know, and I, I thought, um, I, I just found it fascinating that you were writing about that, and I, I wanted to just get more, you know, I think it's such an important thing, like you said, that we're not seeing enough of these characters in movies or on TV or in our books. And I, I really enjoyed the fact that you chose to bring that element to life through your mystery. And this character uh, has so much going on because she has a bad habit of uh, acting before she leaves when she confronts people. So. <laughs> Uh, how do you how did you how do you come up with the idea of what kind of situation to put Lana Lee in? Um, I kind of think she's a little bit of a a little bit of a rebel. Um, she gets spurred by people telling her she can't do something, um, and I take a lot of things from m my past. I always like to think about alternate timelines. <laughs> Is one of my favorite things. So I always think about responses that I want to have. Um, so, for example, in the first book, um, Lana explains that she leaves her job because her boss had a fit and threw papers in her face. Well, that really happened to me in real life. <laughs> um, but I didn't leave that job, and I couldn't because, you know, you got bills to pay. 
so in my in my book she walked out of her job and it you know it so a lot of that I'll I'll do alternate like well what would I do that I can't really do in real life or you know so it that's how it started and then it just became Lana's personality over time that you know these certain things she was always going to do she was going to fight against the grain and so on Lisa, tell everyone, you wrote this first book while you were also working full-time, right? What was yeah. that like? Yes. Can you explain a little bit of how, because Dr. Wendy said earlier that we should all be using this time during the virus to be writing. So you might be mm-hmm. inspiring some of our listeners to start writing best-selling uh, mystery series, too. Well, I will tell you, I'm still working full-time. So <laughs> um, I've done all the books um, working. I think right so now is it, uh, when I come home. So I write um, when I come home from work, and then I also write on the weekends. A lot of times on Saturdays I'll have marathons where I just write for 10 hours straight. Really? And so when you go, what kind of, what's yeah. your uh, nine-to-five job, so to speak? So nine-to-five, I work for a um, small business-to-business magazine publisher. Um, we do... Uh, trade magazines for uh, lawn care, pest control, um, cannabis, um, motor vehicles. So I am the receptionist. I handle, you know, all of the, off, like, managing of the office. Um, and we also have an online bookstore for our pest control division, and I handle the sales for that. So how do you deal, juggle with the pressures of day-to-day? Because this is a lot of our listeners, and then yeah. go home and kind of start thinking of, you know, what to do next with Lana Lee and the Mahjong uh, ladies and everyone else in the book. <laughs> I love these characters. So, I mean, seriously, how do you compartmentalize that? Is that difficult? Because I'm, I think that's something – I know when I'm doing our mystery podcast, I get sucked in. I can't even talk to people. I'm thinking about it all day. Like every waking hour, it's like in my mind. Well, I, I definitely don't leave my writer hat off during the day. I think that it's always working. I think when I'm driving to work, when I'm driving home, a lot of ideas I get when I'm driving home from work. Um, I get ideas while I'm there. I mean, the writer part of me really never shuts off. Um, and I think that that becomes typical the more that you do it. And I think that that's really the only way to get yourself into the habit is you, you're going to have to force yourself. There's no way around it. You have to sit down in the chair, plant your butt in the chair, and just write. And if it's garbage, it's garbage, you know. And But at least you're writing. And as you keep going, it, it doesn't seem as daunting. as it, you, it, There will always be that element. I mean, when I first started doing this, um, some of my friends who have, you know, they're on their 23rd novel, or I have a friend who has written 50, and I asked her, you know, when does this get easier? And she's like, never. And I thought she was teasing me, but, you know, now after having six books under my belt, I can kind of see that it does get easier a little bit, but there's really always that feeling of, oh, my God, am I going to do this this time? Am I going to be able to make it? And you do, you know. So it's just a a balancing act. Well, I would also think these characters have become friends with you now, right, because you've been with them for so long that you know the Lana story, you know her best friend story, you know her mother's story, you know the grandma. You know what I mean? They're, do they talk to oh, you yeah. at times? 
Yeah, I, I definitely feel a sense of they have taken on their own personality. When I first started, it was a little bit more difficult to figure out, you know, what would they say? And I'd have to put myself in their head. But now it comes a lot easier, especially certain characters stick out for me more than others. So it just it comes right out on the on the computer screen. Well, I have to tell you, you're making my uh, sheltering in a lot more enjoyable reading your book. But what are you reading? Well, I'm glad. What's on your What's on your list right now that you're reading that you want to that you could tell people about? Well, so currently I am um, at the tail end of reading um, "The Universe Has Your Back" by um, Gabrielle Bernstein, which has absolutely nothing to do with my fictional world at all. Um, but in my lineup for what I have coming up um, to read next is um, Murder Once Removed by S.C. Perkins. Um, that's a cozy series. And then after that, this isn't a newer book. I, she, I think she's been out for a while, um, Jar of Hearts by Jennifer Hillier. Um, and that's a psychological oh, yeah. thriller. So, um yeah, I kind of just bounce all over the place. I, I never, you know, stick just to cozies. I'll kind of go all over the place, um, you know, back and forth through the genres. And um, what do you think of Christine Ng? I mean, Celeste Ng. She's from Cleveland, too. She's uh, blowing up with little fires everywhere. I'm, and she kind of tells similar stories about just being from mixed race and her stories about Little Fires Everywhere is set in Shaker Heights, right outside of Cleveland, one of that expensive neighborhood that they apparently laid out in the early 1900s so that there's uh, no children have to cross uh, Main Street to get to school. Are you a fan of her stuff, or have you ever met her? I have never met her. Um, I do. Ha- I actually have Little Fires Everywhere, but I have not started it yet. But I just, I think it's so great. Um, that she's from this area and that she's thriving and doing well. Cause one of the things I think that a lot of people tell you when you're writing, if you don't live in a, in a centralized area, people kind of use that as a, you know, as a way to tell you, Oh, you know, you're not going to be able to make this happen. You know, you're just from this little town and which is so not true at all. And so I think it's great to have, I mean, we have a lot of great writers in this city. So I, I mean, great for her. I'm so um, amazed at how well she's doing, and I hope I get to meet her one day because I'd really like to shake her hand <laughs> when that's well, when that's uh, safe yeah, me again. Too. And, I, <laughs> and I want to I want to wrap up and ask you one more question about someone you idolized. I was reading some of the profiles on you because you mentioned this earlier that creating strong female characters is really important to you, and one of the reasons why you decided to write mysteries. And Sue mm-hmm. Grafton really inspired you. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, Sue Grafton, yeah. Um, my biggest regret probably is never getting the chance to meet her um, and shake her hand. Um, I started reading her when I was in college. I took um, an intro to fiction class, and I thought it was just going to be this overall general you know, intro to fiction writing class. And it turned out to be all based on mystery. And I, I mean, I had read mysteries in the past, but I, I didn't really, it wasn't a focal point for me. And one of the books that we had to read for the class was A is for Alibi. And I fell in love uh, with, I couldn't put it down. And 
I, I thought, this is it. This is what I want to do. This is for sure the path that I want to take. And she kind of just set me on that route. Just a, I mean, Kinsey's such well, a great you're character. Probably on that route too. You actually inspired me. I don't know if you want to take credit for what comes out of me this September, but <laughs> we'll send you a list, link, Vivian, to our nerd, our newest diabetes murder mystery. It's called um, "Kill Me, Madam," and it's with the music from the Broadway show "Call Me, Madam." And actually, Marianne Nikolai, who's an educator, is from Cleveland. She'll be part of the podcast. We used to go to Cleveland all the time with Diva Bedic and uh, work with Mother Love, who's also a uh, Clevelandite, I guess we would say. So thank you so much for joining us tonight and, and helping people get through the virus with your amazing books. There's six off, so thank you so much. I want to thank all my guests for being a part of Diabetes Late Night tonight. Make sure to tune in in May when we're playing music from Dion Warwick. In the meantime, visit our Facebook page and check out all my videos on Mr. Diva Beck's YouTube channel. We're going to close the show with Marin Morris's latest song, A Song for Everything, courtesy of Sony Music. Have a great night, everyone. What's your time machine? Is it Springsteen or Teenage Dream? What's your taste? You bet. You first fallen in the soundtrack When you were looking for the words Somebody said it first So you didn't have to It was looking right at you One passed you through love One wrapped you through lonely Mixed your heartbreak And made you feel holy For the hits and the misses For the fire and Back when-